have to have the Holy Spirit involved in your life uh, to pursue God and then to reach other people. This is God's message. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not, it's not, it's not your gospel. It's not my gospel. It's Jesus's gospel. And so you have to have the Holy Spirit to help you with the gospel. And so pursuing God and reaching people, has, you have to have the Holy Spirit to help you do any of that kind of stuff. Now, with, with that being said, uh, last week I looked at, okay, what does it mean to be empowered by the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? What, you get pregnant, you can't stay around no more? Is that what it is? So, so um, I love doing that to people. <clears throat> so you have to have the Holy Spirit to help you do these things. Now, here's something that I've found over the years is that, that um, the, the church has taken the, the understanding of the Holy Spirit, the, the, the different, different types of uh, congregations, different types of denominations, things like that, all look at the Holy Spirit very differently. There's, little, there's different things that we process, and you go all the way like into the Catholic uh, concept, and, and I've had people talk about, and in fact, I want to mention this in a little bit, that as the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's Old Testament, New Testament, we do this sometimes. We put segments of time uh, attached to the... Um, attached to the church, and we say, well, this is the church. But the Catholic church is us, okay? That is the history. You don't, you don't have now unless you have the Catholic church, right? Do, do I agree with um, uh, um, what they believe for the most part? No, I believe they've got some confusions in some different things that came from coming out of the Dark Ages, okay? But at the same time, there's some really great Christians that are Catholics. Um, but the Catholic church is our history, just like Judaism is our history, you understand there is no such thing as Christianity unless there was Judaism. We, we do this sometimes in, modern, in the modern American church. It's called replacement theology. We say that the church now replaces uh, the people of God, the, the Jewish people, and all the promises to Jewish people. Now the church, that those are only church uh, blessings and promises. There, there's, the Jewish people are still God's people. The, the Christians have been grafted into this. We've been adopted we're not, we're not first generation, we're, we're how do you come lately? We're, we're after the fact. We've been grafted into this. And so you got Catholicism. How Catholicism looks at the Holy Spirit is different than the way, say, the mainline, like Lutheran, Presbyterian would look, which is different than the Evangelicals, Methodist, Baptist kind of thing, which is different than the Pentecostal uh, uh, Charismatics. That We all have a different way of understanding the Holy Spirit, and sometimes to a, a to a disservice to God's Word and to the Holy Spirit, different groups have kind of relegated the Holy Spirit off to the side because they don't know what to do with Him. I mean, there's plenty of scriptures about Him, but rather than really look at those and say, okay, then how do I apply those into my world and my existence today, we kind of push the Holy Spirit off to the side and say, well, you're involved in that salvation, and that's really all we know that you do. You know, that kind of thing. Well, there's, there's a lot more. To, to what the Holy Spirit's doing, and He's constantly telling us what this is throughout Scripture. And so, so when, we, when you get to the concept of saying, okay, um, I, I want to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. I want to pursue God. I want to reach people. What does that mean? What, what do you do with that? How do you, how do you um, what happens after that? We've got the beginning of what we call the New Testament church. Now, again, that, some people would say, well, this is the, the book of Acts was the, the birth of the church. I don't like that statement. I don't think that's a right way to say it. I don't, I don't think it's wrong in the way people are processing it, but it's not the birth of the church. The church had existed for 4,000 years. The church is the body of Christ. The church was Adam and Eve. The church was Abraham. The church was Isaac. All of these things. So when we get to um, the book of Acts, all we're saying now is not it's the birth of the church, but it is now the empowerment of the church under the cross to carry out the Great Commission. 
Now we have personal power, personal relationship with the Lord, that the veil has been torn, and I have personal access to God. Remember I was talking about last week, the flame of fire over every single one of their heads. Now we have personal power, uh, opportunity for empowerment to carry out this um, pursuing God and reaching people. So now you've got this, this beginning of the, the, uh, the, the uh, New Testament church. The, the cross has finalized what has been being prepared for 4,000 years. Now what do they do? What is the next step? Well, interestingly, the Bible tells us a lot about this. One of the things that they're processing is, okay, do we, do we get together corporately? See, see, they have the plan. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8 that I read last week, they have the map of what's going to happen. You're going to take the gospel. You realize this is the point of the church. This is the purpose of the church. Now, sometimes we make the purpose of the church very different. Partly because we don't understand who Jesus is and we don't understand who the Holy Spirit is and what he's wanting to do. So we make the purpose of the church getting together so we can have worship services. Well, when that becomes the focus and you actually think that's what you exist for, the body of Christ exists to gather together so we can have worship services, then those worship services become an, uh, an entity to themselves. They become an animal unto their own. That's why churches can have concerts and call them worship services. Because they've missed the point. They've missed the point of the whole thing. What is the, what is the purpose of the church? Acts 1 verse 8. And you will receive power to be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's what the church exists for. Pursuing God, reaching people. As we pursue God, we will reach people. This is, this is the point. And so the Holy Spirit gives us the power to do that. So they've got the map. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. They've got the map. They know where they're going. And then all of a sudden, guys like Matthew and Mark and, and uh, Luke and Paul and James, they begin to write stuff. Now, remember, this isn't the first time that they had written stuff and were reading. You understand the guys at the New Testament time frame, the, 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 the apostles, the, the church leaders of the first couple of generations of the church's uh, existence after the cross, they had Scripture to read. It's called the Torah. It's what we call the Old Testament. They had that stuff there to read. They could study God. Jesus gets up in the temple and he unrolls to the book of Isaiah and says, this is what I came for. It's right here in Isaiah. And he reads that scripture. So they had scripture. They had God's word. Now these guys start to write more stuff of this is, the, this is, the, uh, this is what we would call the New Testament. This is the fulfillment of what has been being written to us and described to us for 4,000 years. This is how we do this now after the cross. So they begin to write these scriptures. And, and the New Testament sounds and feels different than the Old Testament because it's, it's much more pragmatic. It's much more, this is how you do this, and this is how you do this. The practical application of how we carry this gospel to the ends of the earth, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. So now, now they've got the map. They've got these guys writing the stuff. They've got to understand this. They begin to get together corporately to accomplish this. Now, again, this is not a new philosophy, the idea of corporate worship service was, was done all through the Old Testament. It was constantly being done. And this is a very important aspect of our spiritual walk. I have people constantly ask me in, in so many different settings, do you have to go to church to be a Christian? I don't, I don't think that's the right way to ask the question. Do you have to go to church to be a Christian? If you're asking it that way, no. You going to church does, is not a salvation requirement. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. But if you're a Christian, you'll go to church. 
Because why? There's things that are found in the corporate setting of people worshiping God together that you cannot find in any other place. And when you're reading through Scripture and you see some of these things in Scripture, if you're trying to figure this out just uh, 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 by yourself, it cannot happen. It's not possible. So for you to be able to get the things that God is describing that you need in your life that can only come through a corporate setting, that's why you get together corporately. It's not because you're being made to. It's because you need to grow in God. You need to pursue God. You need to reach people. And you cannot do that healthily and with maturity if you're not doing it amongst other people. It's an impossibility. You literally cannot. And, and by the way, I used to think years ago I could be an island unto myself. It's not possible. You need certain things that happen in corporate settings that are coming from people, from, from the Holy Spirit, from His Word, all these things that can only happen in a corporate context. One of these things is just developing relationships that are, that are healthy Christian relationships. You need some of these things. You need, and depending on where you work and how you work, some of you work at Christian organizations and you've got some good Christian friends that you work with. Some of you don't. And you know that you're, you literally are like out there by yourself in your workplace. You need some Christian uh, connection. You need some friendships and relationships that will help you just, just in life. Just do life together. I was thinking about this the other day. I was meeting with a group of guys, and we began to talk about a family and parenting and stuff like that. And I realized that I was this, the, uh, when it came to parenting, I was the senior of everybody in the group. Everybody else had little kids, pre-birds and bees little kids. That's what we were talking about. And, and they kind of all just paused and looked over at me like, how'd you do this? I'm like, first, I messed it up really bad. So I don't really, you know, it's one of those things. I'm a, I'm a comfortable public speaker. I have no problem speaking and doing, but I'm sitting there with my two boys trying to talk to them about the birds and bees going, ah, uh, uh, well, ah, uh, when a mama loves a daddy. You know, I didn't, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to say. <laughs> and, uh, and so I'm trying to explain to them how I did this and what I said and the mistakes and how it took months and months to get all the information properly because you think you're saying it properly. But either way, so so I'm, I'm processing. That's one of the reasons that, that you have corporate church. To talk about the birds and the bees. Sort of. Because why? Because you need help from people that have done this before. And the most, it dawned on me, most of the information that I was giving to these guys was, well, you don't want to say that. I said that. You don't want to do this. And they're like, well, you know, are there books with pictures and things? I'm like, there are, but some will get you in trouble. And so, you know, you know, you, I can lead and guide in some of this, but that's why you've got to have Christian faith, the fellowship. Here's another thing. One of the reasons that you need connection and fellowship in, in the corporate setting is because God puts some people in your life to get under your skin, and that's specifically why they're there. I believe this. I believe that one of the roles that your spouse plays in your life is to be sandpaper. If I, I've had this conversation with people, and I don't totally, I'm not saying it's wrong, I just don't totally understand it. I've had a, a, a couple, this was years ago, and I think I've had one couple since then, that said, we have never argued in our entire life. I'm like, one of you then is being run over by the other one. That's why you're not arguing. One of you got beat down before you started arguing, and you've never spoke up. 
There's no way possible you can totally agree on every single thing to the point where it doesn't become an argument somewhere. You're humans. Humans argue. But see, God puts your spouse into your life. One of the reasons, one of the reasons to support you and stuff like that, but one of the reasons is to disagree with you. I practice this regularly. <laughs> I do. God, it's God-ordained, though, so it's all okay. So another thing is worship, the concept of worship, how we worship God. You realize one of the, the reasons that we get together with all kinds of different people is because the way that you worship God is very limited. It's very singular, very limited, and God wants to broaden your horizons. It's extremely limited. And so God wants to push you and challenge you. He, you the... the one of the misconceptions of a worship, a corporate worshiping concept, is that we're all going to think the same, like the same, and feel the same about every single thing that's going on in there. Guys, that's, that's your selfishness speaking. That's humanism speaking. Well, I don't like worship. You don't like to worship God. Well, I don't like, to, I don't like song services. I don't like all Why? Because we're singing about God? Is that what bothers you? Well, no, it's the, the drums. Those are mentioned in Scripture, so I don't know what to do with that. Symbols, those are mentioned in Scripture. Um, in fact, according to Scripture, we should have guitars and drums. That's like the only thing. I'm serious. You've read it? Guitars and drums. There's lots of drums. So, well, I don't like that. Well, then you wouldn't have been able to operate very well in the Old Testament when they were standing in the temple worshiping God because that's how they did it. One of the concepts of... See, I, I, I know this on a first-hand level. See, I'm coming from the exact opposite of some of you in here. When I grew up in the church, I grew up in the 70s in the church, I played musical instruments starting at five years old in the church. I did not like 99.9% .9 of the stuff we played. I didn't like it. I didn't like the sound of it. I didn't like the feel of it. I didn't like the twang of it. That's because I grew up in Texas. I didn't like any of it. But I had to play it musically because that's what I was supposed to do. I didn't have a choice, by the way. I played a musical instrument in every single service. I didn't have that choice. That was my parents' rule. And so I played musical instruments for music that I hated. I hate Southern gospel. I hate it. Now, some of you are like, but it blesses me. I'm married to one of those people. She she manipulated my kids into liking this stuff. My children, you know what we used to do? I did, now, I'm telling you, I hated this stuff, okay? I hated it. Not the words. I appreciate the words, but I couldn't stand the music. Who put this stuff together? We would go on trips in our car, and my, my wife would get a hymnal. I'm, I'm not exaggerating. She would carry a hymnal on our road trips, 12 hours of driving, and she would sing those songs with my kids. And my kids are back there, and they're singing them, and I'm just like, hated it. That's one of the main reasons I actually, I'm not kidding you about this, I'm a very musical person. It's one of the main reasons I, I pushed away from the church. Because I was told that what I enjoyed in my head when I hear rock and roll, that that was a sin. And it's not. How you play a, a musical instrument is not a sin. The words you attach to it can be, but not the music itself. And so I was told this stuff, and so I'm thinking, I don't, I don't like that. I don't want to do it. But you know what? 
I still know, and I can point to times in my history when I could feel God move in those places. Feel God move in those worship services. Knowing, I couldn't stand the music, but I could sense the Spirit of God, and I could tell He was there and doing stuff. Even though to me it sounded like, I couldn't stand that, but I could tell the Holy Spirit liked it enough to at least show up, and He's, and he's there. It's one of the reasons that we get together corporately is so that our worship is corporate, regardless of the style or the taste or the flavor. You have no idea. If you're new to this, if you're new to Christianity, you have no idea how enlightened we are nowadays compared to what, what I grew up with. There's all kinds of styles, all kinds of stuff, things going on all the time that are new and different. There was one style when I was growing up. We get together corporately to have corporate worship because it's necessary. You need it. I need it. Here's another thing that we get together with, and this is what they begin to realize. The reason that we get together corporately is because, remember, starting in Genesis 3, God wants to redeem us back to him. He wants us to know him. He wants us to pursue him. He wants others to know who God is because we're pursuing him. And so in the process of that, God is doing everything. He gives us his word. He gives us Old Testament. He gives us New Testament. He gives us all this information. He gives us story after story after story that shows us what he can do and how big he is and all this stuff. But then one of the reasons that we get together corporately is because he wants to speak to us corporately. He wants to speak to me, to you, to every one of us through his word, through the worship. Some of the best theology I get sometimes is right in the middle of a song and I go, yeah, I got to own that. I got to internalize that. We get in his word. Part of my responsibility as a pastor is to, to, to say things that sometimes are going to get under your skin. They're going to bother you. You're going to irritate you. You're going to push you into a deciding moment. That's my responsibility. I don't I don't take it lightly. I don't, <clears throat> I, don't, I don't know how to say this without it sounding like just, well, that's the way it is. But I, sometimes I'm going to irritate you. I don't, that, I don't care. I, that doesn't bother me. I don't lose sleep over it. I don't. Um, now, I don't get up here to do that most of the time. I say sometimes I'm like, you know what, today I'm just going to take everybody off. I know I've had that before, but most of the time that's not what it is. I just want to see the Holy Spirit do something. But sometimes what he wants to do is not necessarily through what I'm saying from his word or what worship is saying from his word, but it's what one of you has to say to, to us from God's word. This is where the gifts of the Holy Spirit come in. We've got all the other stuff. We've got his word. We've got his, his uh, worship. We've got corporate. We've got people. We've got iron sharpens on. We've got all this stuff. And then God says, well, let me give you one more tool that I can use to help you know me, pursue me, and reach other people. And that's where the gifts of the Holy Spirit come in. So that individually we can be used by the Holy Spirit to also speak into our lives corporately. And that's the concept of the corporate Okay, now I'm going to read, um, and let me go to John chapter 3 first, verse 8, and it says, the wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it's coming from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. It, a, spiritual, the, con, the word spiritual itself is, an, uh, is a non-understandable context. We understand elements of it. We feel certain things. Let, let me ask this question. Has anybody in here ever felt God's presence? Raise your hand if you have felt God's presence. Do you know why? Because you're spiritual. God has designed you to feel something that is not tactical. It's, it, uh, it's, it's not 
uh, tactile. It's not something you can put your mind to and understand totally, but you can feel it. You can understand it spiritually, although you, you can't totally rationally understand it. You can recognize God's presence. That's because God's designed you spiritually to do so. But you don't understand it. You don't get it all. This is where faith comes in. I, I've mentioned this before. I went to a class at Denver Seminary. Good, good, good seminary. I really enjoyed my time there. But, but it's not a school that believes in the Holy Spirit uh, empowering you and filling you. All the stuff I talked about last week would have been rejected completely at Denver Seminary. Um, everything I'm going to talk about today, totally rejected. Well, I, I go to a class. I've been going there for a couple years, and I've got a class, and I'm going to start, and I'm getting ready to go, and it's the first time I'd come across this. It's a class on the book of Acts, and Linda had told me ahead of time. She, she over a couple weeks, she's telling me, okay, now you know, you know, you don't have to say anything. You can just be quiet, and she, she one, like the day before school, she said, now, now promise me you're just going to be quiet. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to say anything. Just be quiet. And I was like, I'm a mature spiritual leader. I can be quiet. I don't even know why you don't trust me at this particular moment. And so I get to class. First, first 30 seconds of class, the professor, he says, I'm Professor So-and-so. This is going to be a class on the book of Acts. We're going to study the entire book of Acts. We look at all this stuff. Yes, we're going to look at Acts chapter 2. Yes, we're going to look at things like speaking in tongues. But I just want you to know right now that it has it is, uh, been scientifically proven that speaking in tongues is completely made up. There's no reality to it. I'm like, come on. You didn't even let me get two minutes. <laughs> I want to say, this is your fault. I promise I wasn't going to say nothing. So I, I said, it has been scientifically proven that there is no such thing as salvation. He said, what? We know, you're saying you can't be saved? I said, no, it's been scientifically proven that you can't be saved. He said, so you're not a Christian? I said, no, I'm a Christian, and I speak in tongues too. <laughs> and you could tell he was like, oh, one of those. You know, it's going to be a long semester. So, <clears throat> so here's the reality. It says that you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit, and you never will be able to. You can't explain how somebody gets saved. You can't. You can explain how to get saved, but you can't explain how they get saved. Oh, no, well, no, you're that, no, I can. You, you're covered with the blood of Jesus. Okay, but how does that do that? How does it happen? You can feel something. But you, what happened? Can you, can you scientifically explain? Can you rationally explain it? No, it doesn't exist, and Scripture is telling us this. This is a faith thing. Now, it's the same thing with the gifts of the Spirit. same thing with everything I talked about last week. And being empowered with the Holy Spirit, praying in the Spirit, all these things. You, you can't explain. These are spiritual things that are, that are happening to us as limited physical human beings. But the reason is because these are tools that the Lord is giving to us as, as a body to help us to pursue God and reach people. Okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 12. As I mentioned last week, we're empowered to, to live like Christ. In other words, say no to sin. Um, just, just do the things that the Lord has told us. I heard a great story this week from a guy named uh, Ravi Zacharias. If you don't know who he is, you need to look him up. He's, he's probably one of the best, strongest theologians that's alive today. Um, just solid, as solid as they get. And he was telling this uh, little story, and he and he's, was talking about this uh, kid that at school was stealing everybody's stuff, pencils, paper, and all this kind of stuff from people. And so they took him to the office, and they called his dad in. They bring him in and explain, and the principal says, we've got your son here because he's uh, been stealing pencils and paper and, and, and stuff like that. And his dad said, I don't know why he would do that. 
I can get him plenty of that stuff from my work. <clears throat> so, we're also empowered to love like Christ. Okay, so in case you didn't understand what I was saying, that's stealing. All right, to love like Christ. Love God, let him love you. Love yourself the way God wanted, love others. Yeah, I talked about that some last week. The third is learn the word of God like Christ. The only way I can know God's word is the Holy Spirit reveal this to me. Same thing with salvation. I can't even understand a concept like salvation unless the Holy Spirit reveals it to me. Now, the Holy Spirit's desire is to, to constantly be revealing that to everybody. So it's not like he's only revealing it to some. Okay, We don't believe that. There are some groups that do, but we don't. We believe that the Lord wants everybody to get saved and, and that the Holy Spirit is constantly trying to reveal uh, who he is and his word. So then the fourth one is uh, that the Holy Spirit empowers us to declare the word of God or to declare uh, um, God's truth or his gospel like Christ did, which is in witnessing in the miraculous. Those go hand in hand, okay? I know that in today's society we separate those and we make healing this separate thing, but healing is specifically granted to us at the cross. It's not granted to us later. It's not a separate thing. Isaiah 53 says that by his stripes on the cross that he is dying on the cross from, those stripes are what heals you. The same thing that gives you healing is the same thing that gives you salvation. This is what I was talking about earlier. Two other things that are mentioned in that same little set of scripture are mental and emotional issues, and we just leave those off the table. I mentioned this just a little bit in, in first service. I'm not going to go into great detail, but I'm talking with some pastors right now. They've really been struggling with depression and with anxieties and with suicide and stuff like that. And, and one of the things that the, the reason I'm talking to them is because they found out I had been going through this. And so I, I'm talking to them about this and trying to help them. One of the biggest things that happens with pastors is they don't feel like they can verbalize to somebody else that they're dealing with mental issues. It's a trap that they are in, and I used to be in this, that if you somehow say I'm dealing with emotional issues or mental issues, that you are unfit to lead. That is the mentality that first, this came from the church. It didn't come from pastors. It came from the church. But nowadays, I think, I hope we've left that by the wayside. But there are pastors that will not admit, I'm having these conversations with people, they will not admit that they are dealing with deep emotional issues because they are scared to death their church will not respect them anymore. Th th to me, there's no difference than if that pastor would break his leg and say, I broke my leg, I need to go to the hospital, I need to get some help. And nobody's going to say, well, you're unfit to lead, get out of here. That doesn't make sense, but that's when it switches into emotional, emotional and mental issues, that's what we do. They're unfit to lead. Guys, come on. The Holy Spirit is bigger than that. Jesus died on the cross. He, he, he's a man acquainted with our sorrows and our griefs. That's what Isaiah 53 says. That's why he died on the cross. Because he is acquainted with our, our grief. He knows our grief and our struggles. He knows how to physically heal us. He knows how to spiritually heal us. That's what we call salvation. But all of it's in the same category. So the Holy Spirit, he says, I'm going to give you these gifts. I'm going to do this stuff for you. I'm going, to, I'm going to empower you to accomplish this. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1. Now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your question about the spiritual abilities the Spirit gives us, I don't want you to under mis misunderstand this. Now, he's come all the way to a point. And he says, okay, now let me get to the next issue, which is the spiritual abilities. 
Well, well, then what does that mean it came before? Back up through the chapters that precede this, and it's all about how the church operates, okay? Now, this is important. It's not how the individual operates. It's how the church operates as a collective body. The chapter right before this is where they're talking about communion. That's what we call it. They don't call it communion. They call it like love feasts and stuff like that because there was a lot of food involved. In fact, if you take what we have created in today's modern mentality of communion, which is a, a drink of juice and a little plastic wafer, it, go read 1 Corinthians 11 with that mentality. A little thing of juice. And a, in fact, set them on a table and look at them while you're reading 1 Corinthians 11. And you know what you'll realize? It wasn't the same subject. There's no way that they had a little cup of juice and a little plastic cracker as the, as the context of 1 Corinthians 11. Why? Because Paul is saying you guys are bringing all this food and you're like com, uh, com, uh, rivaling each other and who can make the best food and the most food and who has the, 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 the hors d'oeuvres and all the special stuff and all the different things. And then he says, guys, it's sitting about how much you can eat. If you're, he, in fact, he says, why don't you eat at home before you come so that it won't be about how much you eat and getting full at the dinner? Because why? What is the love feast about? It's about recognizing, remembering that Jesus is the bread that's broken and the, the drink that is poured out. He is that stuff. Now, you take a little juice and a little cracker. Now, I believe personally we should meet somewhere in the middle. Right? Are you catching me here? I think we should have much more food involved with communion. It's just me personally. Because why? That's what Paul said. Paul was like, you got too much food. It's all over the place. It ain't about that. And I'm thinking, well, I would at least like to have been there just to see one time what this was not supposed to be. See, everything he's talking about is the church. It's the church. It's how we operate corporately. Why? Because they're trying to take this gospel around the world, and they knew that they, they, knew that they needed to get together to, to help each other, develop each other, teach each other everything. Now Paul comes to this last place, and he says, okay, now let me go over this, these gifts that I've given you to help you in this pursuit of God and reaching other people. I don't want you to misunderstand this. You know that when you are, were still pagans, you were led astray and swept along in worshiping speechless idols. So I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. You can't get saved without the Holy Spirit involved in life. The Holy Spirit is in your life at salvation, but as I was talking about last week, that is not the same thing as being empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's also not the same thing, by the way, as Romans chapter 6 and 7 and 8 about walking in the Holy Spirit which is much more the empowered mentality than just getting saved. Now you're saved, what do you do? you got to learn to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and, and constantly be doing that. So there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is, is the source of them all. And this is where I always get confused with the church. Parts of the church that say, no, uh, supernatural things are not for today. Gifts of the Spirit are not for the day. Uh, that was for 2,000 years ago. But it's the same Holy Spirit that is in your life at salvation. If he can do the supernatural work of saving you, cleansing you, making you right with God and begin the regeneration process, that's a whole lot bigger than healing a physical uh, thing in your life. If he can save your soul and it's the same Holy Spirit, then why is something like healing, we just relegate it to a category by itself? Or something to me that actually is not difficult at all for the Holy Spirit, which is the gifts of the Holy Spirit. 
They're, they're, they're not challenging at all. They're very simple. They're like, they're like kindergarten of spiritual development. Well, why do we put them into this category that they're so difficult? And it's, it's all spooky and all this. And I, I know part of the reason. I grew up in Pentecostal churches where there, it was a little spooky sometimes. I get that. But I also know that what the Holy Spirit is trying to do with us is very simple. It's very, it's very pure. It's very um, uh, base, foundational. Okay, so it says um, <clears throat> there are different kinds. Okay, uh, verse 5. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. Now, some people have taken that scripture and say, well, then that's my gift. I own that gift. I am the, I am the uh, prophecy person. I am the tongues person. I mean, that, that's not what that scripture is saying. Okay, I'll explain that as we go down through this. But a spiritual gift is given to us when we get together corporately. Think about it like this, okay? This is the best way to do this. When you get together corporately, a spiritual gift is given to us so that we can accomplish something that week. Now, what is it to be accomplished? Is to help each other. And this is where it gets a little confusing sometimes in Pentecostal and charismatic groups is we think there's other reasons. That the Holy Spirit really wants to do something in me so that I can be lifted up. So that I can be important. In other words, it's like the Holy Spirit is sitting there going, you know what? Scott really needs a book deal. He needs to be fam- I really have a desire for Scott to be famous and have a book deal. Instead of I'm speaking something to Scott that should be put in a book so that others may know. Do you see the difference in those two philosophies? And so we sometimes think the Holy Spirit wants to do something in us so that I can be important or that our church can be important or this ministry can be important. Those things come and go. That is not the passion of the Holy Spirit. The passion of the Holy Spirit is so that we can all know Jesus. And so therefore, he gives gifts to me so that somebody can be helped in what? Pursuing God, reaching others. So that we can grow in knowledge of God and then help others. It's not about me. And the reason the church gets confused is because we think this is my gift for me. That is not what the sentence is saying. Think about it like this. We get together and now the Holy Spirit gives me a gift so that I can help others that day. It's not my gift. It's the Holy Spirit. And he's using me in that gift. I don't own it. It's not mine. And the next week, he may do something. He may give that gift to somebody else. Okay? Let me me show you. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same. Have you ever just had, um, you're, you're just interacting with somebody, and all of a sudden, you realize that what you just said to them was profound? And you're like, I don't think I'm that profound. That came from a different source. That happens to me all the time. I think to myself, wow, that was good. In fact, this is the way you'll hear it sometimes. I don't always do this, but this is the way you'll hear it here. Is if I say something in a service and then I go, ooh, somebody should write that down. That probably means, 99% of the time, that means I had not intended on saying that. That's, that's the Holy Spirit saying that right then. And why? That's word of wisdom. Word of knowledge. Okay, this this is the Holy Spirit operating actively with us at that specific moment. Okay, so uh, some is wide about the another. The same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives faith to another, 
And to someone else, the one spirit gives the gift of healing. Now, now this is important. One person he gives the gift of healing. Well, I'm going to get back to that in a second. He gives one person the power, the power to perform miracles and another the ability to prophesy. It doesn't appear that he's given all, it doesn't appear that he's given everybody all these gifts at the same time. And he explains that. He gives someone the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. That's what we call discerning of spirits in King James. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages. In, in, um, in King James, that's tongues. Okay, now that's important because in, in modern evangelical, what we call the third waivers, which are just basically the evangelicals that finally realized the Holy Spirit's here, but they didn't want to admit it to the Pentecostals or the Charismatics, so there we call them the third waivers. But they, they, they all of a sudden have revelation about the Holy Spirit, okay? And we've been saying, yeah, we've written all kinds of books about this. You should read them. So <clears throat> these guys are basically saying that tongues, anytime you see tongues in Scripture, that's earthly languages that can be understood somewhere on the planet. Sometimes that's actually true. But the very next chapter, verse 13, starts out with, if I could speak in the tongues of men and of angels. In other words, it isn't always earthly tongues. In Acts 2, some of them were earthly tongues, but it doesn't say the ones that weren't because they didn't know what they were. But it tongues of men and of angels. When we speak in unknown languages, it's heavenly and it's earthly. It can be one or both. And I've seen, I've seen the earthly language things. Twice in my life I have seen where somebody, one was in Africa where this woman is praying out loud and she's worshiping the Lord in English and I've been going along praying for people Africans and praying and when I got to that particular point I heard her praying in English and so I just went to the next person because I thought well she doesn't need me I understand she's got it I can hear she's worshiping God yada so I began to pray for the next person the interpreter pulled me back and said why aren't you praying for her and I said well I think she's an American I don't know why in my brain I didn't want to pray for an American I was there to pray for Africans you know so I don't know it's just the way my brain worked. And he kind of looked at me and he said, well, shouldn't you pray for her too? And I was like, I guess. We're praying for Americans now, I guess so. So he said, she's not an American. I said, what do you mean? He said, I know this woman. She lives in some village over here and, and she speaks a, a, form of, a dialect of Chichewa in this particular part of the country. He said, I don't think she's ever even heard English. And she's speaking it perfectly. I can hear her. So now... I know I want to pray, I want to touch her and get close, and maybe some of that will get off on me, whatever that is right there. Because I can hear her speaking perfect, unbroken, non-African broken type of English. Perfect English. He said, she doesn't know English. She definitely doesn't speak it. I'm like, listen, she does. That's, that was a supernatural. That's, that's uh, when you're looking at uh, glossolalia, when you look at xenolalia and all those kind of things in the Greek, that's the language of earth that they heard speaking in Acts chapter 2 in their own languages. It's a supernatural thing, but it's not limited to that. Okay, so, <clears throat> all right, continuing on. Um, still another person, he gives the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what's being said. And you understand this is an interpretation on a natural level. In other words, I don't hear a language that I understand and interpret it. That's not what it's saying. If, if that's what it is, why do you need the Holy Spirit to help you with that? If you already know the language, then this isn't a gift of the Holy Spirit. The reason you're interpreting is because you don't know the language, and that's why it's a supernatural gift of the Holy Spirit. If you just know the language, the Holy Spirit doesn't need to help. 
Okay. So it is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. Okay, that's, our, that's one of our clues to what I was saying earlier. I don't believe that we own the gifts. Okay, I don't believe they're our gifts. I believe the Holy Spirit gives them to us as He wants. And actually, the, the, the rule, and I'll show you this, the Holy Spirit gives them to us as we are willing and receptive. He's trying to give us the gifts all the time. But the reason that some people operate in gifts is because they were willing, not because the Holy Spirit chose them. He chooses us all. And He wants us all to operate in the gifts. But it's the willing ones that get the job done, okay? Jump down to verse 27. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Again, that's the purpose, is helping each other. Verse 7, helping each other, getting together and helping each other so that we pursue God and, and reach other people. Here are some of the parts God has appointed for the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then those who do miracles, those who have the gift of healing, those who can help others, those who have the gift of leadership, those who speak in unknown languages. Now here is the, here is the key. This is where we learn some important stuff. Verse 29, are we all apostles? You understand, as he begins to ask these questions, he is asking these questions rhetorically. The answer is no. For every one of these, the answer is no. Now, this is where it gets a little tricky if you're not paying attention to the big picture here. Are we all apostles? No. Are we all prophets? No. Are we all teachers? No. Do we all have the power to do miracles? No. Do we, wait a second. Do we all have the power to do miracles? No. But I said earlier that Mark 16 says, go preach the gospel and these signs will follow. One of the signs is uh, you will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. That's miracles. But this is saying, do we all have the ability to do this? Again, do we all have the power to do miracles? Well, yeah, because it's directly linked to the gospel. If I preach the gospel, these signs will follow. But see, the reason that we're getting confused about the question is because we're looking at two different contexts. One is who you are personally in your walk with the Lord, and the other is now that we have got together in the church. Remember what I said? All of this stuff leading up chapter, chapter, chapter into verse 12 is all about how we interact together as a corporate body once we have got together. Are you supposed to be operating in the miraculous all the time? Yes. So that cannot be what he's asking or the Bible's schizophrenic. He is not, he is not saying, do you personally, are you going to only, uh, do you have the ability to operate in the miraculous? The answer is me personally, yes. God has already called me to do that. He has given me power to do that. It's called the power of the Holy Spirit. So then why is he asking this rhetorical question here? Because he's talking about once you get together. Look at the next one. You all have the gift of healing. No. The answer is no. The rhetorical answer is no. But he said that I, I will be able to lay hands on the sick and they will recover. I can cast out demons. I can. He's called me to do this. But once we get together corporately, there needs to be certain ways that certain things happen. Look at the next one. Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? And this is the most common one that I hear people say. Well, that right there proves that not everybody's going to speak in tongues. You are correct, according to 1 Corinthians 12, in a corporate setting. But in Acts chapter 2, they all spoke in tongues. 
you, and Paul says in different ways, but he says it many times over, I want everybody speaking in tongues. I wish you all spoke in tongues. That's the way he says it over and over through Scripture. Not, not because he's hoping that you do because you get it. It's because he needs you to be praying in the Spirit. Because, and, and I'm going to talk about this next week, in 1 Corinthians 14, you are strengthened personally by speaking in tongues. Praying in the Spirit strengthens you personally. So, why does Paul then say if he wants everybody speaking in tongues, and by the way, everybody at that time frame did, everybody did, so why is he saying it this way? Because he's saying in a corporate setting, that can get confusing. Look at every one of these. They can get, eesh, they can get confusing if we do all that together. Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? No. Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Of course not. So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. You, do you see the wording that he says there? So you should earnestly desire the gifts. In other words, you decide whether you uh, operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, not the Holy Spirit. You have the ability to desire the gifts of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is wanting to pour them out on all of us all the time. You should desire to operate in the gifts, which means it's your choice. You get to choose that. Holy Spirit's ready and waiting. He's saying, right here, waiting. He's wanting every one of us to operate in gifts of the Holy Spirit right here in this service. Now, this is why he says, but is everybody going to operate in all the gifts? No. And here's the reason. Because we need to have a direction and a purpose and it needs to accomplish certain things. Okay? For example, if we all if we all have we all have the gift, I'm not saying your personal prayer language, we're all supposed to be speaking in tongues. But now he says this is a gift to the corporate body. If we all had the gift of tongues and all acted at the exact same moment with that, that would be very confusing. Would it not? If we all had the ability to interpret and we all begin to talk at the exact same time, nobody's going to understand what God is trying to speak to us because we're all talking at the same time. Now, don't confuse the fact that the Holy Spirit wants you praying in the Spirit all the time, even in church services. But this is different than the corporate gift of tongues. The corporate gift of tongues is a much different thing in how it behaves in the service. You're standing there praying in the Spirit, praying in the Spirit. Everybody else in the building, I wish, we're praying in the Spirit, constant worshiping, praying, seeking God, whatever. And all of a sudden you realize, wait a second, the Holy Spirit wants to speak to all of us corporately. I'm, I'm sensing the Holy Spirit wants to do something. So you begin to speak out in tongues. If you've ever been in a service where we've had this happen, you immediately recognize everybody's supposed to be quiet, right? Sometimes it takes a band a while to wind down, but you understand what I'm saying. We, we need to be quiet. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is trying to speak to us. Here's something you may have never processed. Part of the reason that, the, that, we, that it speaks in tongues, I'm going to talk about this more next week because it's actually assigned to the unbeliever. I'll explain that. But one of the reasons that the message, the whatever, the word of knowledge, word of wisdom, prophecy, or whatever is about to take place, the reason that it's preceded by a um, by message in tongues is because it does take a little bit to get everybody's attention and wind them down. That is actually one of the reasons I believe scripturally is he, it's like ringing a bell. It takes a while everybody go, oh, okay, I should be quiet. God's about to speak to me. Then we get the interpretation. Part of the, I'll get into that next week. It is a sign of the unbeliever. That's actually a supernatural thing that happens, and I'll explain that. But, but so we have message in tongues. If everybody's doing it at the same time, we'd be get, get, get confusing. But don't confuse that with there is a potential or should be. Everybody's praying in the Spirit at that moment. 
We're praying in tongues, speaking in tongues, all of us, but it's not the big corporate thing that says, hey, pay attention, I'm about to speak to you. That's the difference in the gift and the personal. And this 1 Corinthians 12 is talking about the, the corporate, the gift. Same thing. What if we all interpret it? It would be confusing. Let, let me say it this way. My job is to preach. Not all of us can do that at the same time. Right? It's confusing. Plus, it won't be near as cool as what I'm doing. So that's why we, everybody has a job, everybody has a role. We got all the things. But here's just something that I think is very important for us. I believe that my preaching is one of the ways, worship is one of the ways, God's word is, is in the foundation of it all. Guys, I, I am praying constantly that one of the things that needs to happen in our church is we need to have these gifts, these verbal gifts going on regular tongues, interpretation, um, uh, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, all these things going on all the time in our church. Now, I get the question. People say, well, pastor, it can get out of control. I grew up in this. I know what out of control looks like. Okay, I grew up in Pentecostal charismatic settings. I've been in churches where you're going, really? That's what you think the Holy Spirit is doing right now? That's... You, you're walking around barking like a dog, and you think somehow the Holy Spirit's behind that. It's because we get off base, and we forget that everything about the Holy Spirit is to reveal Jesus. Not to reveal me, not to reveal my ministry, not to reveal the church or anybody else's ministry, not to make us important in the world of, of, of Christianity, but to reveal Jesus to people, to help us to know Jesus. That's why people get off base. Because they're looking for a bigger spiritual high than they were the week before. That's why people can do some stupid things. But guys, here's the thing. Because I, I get that question. Anytime I talk about this, I, preach, I do a lot of more talking about this on Wednesday nights. And I say, well, what if it gets out of hand? What if, what if people start doing crazy things? Scripture specifically spells out what my responsibility there is. I'm going to take care of that. Okay? I've seen most of it. I, I want to say all of it, but I'm sure that I can be surprised. <clears throat> I've seen most everything and dealt with most everything. Guys, we're not going to get to that point. Here, here's my heart with this. Paul talks about, and we'll talk about it a little bit next week. Paul specifically says, when you get to two or three messages a week per service, when you get to two or three, uh, stop it there because it's getting a little over the top and uh, it could get confusing. Okay? So here's my thing. Until we get to two or three per service, don't worry about it. That's, to me, that's, the, that's, the, well, that's our arena right there, two to three. We're averaging about .001 per service. We need to up it a lot. We need a lot more. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit more about this next week, but I'm out of time, so I need to shut this down now. But verse, four, verse, one of, um, verse 1 of chapter 14 says, Let love be your highest goal, which is chapter 13, love. It's all about love, okay? That's the purpose, helping each other, loving God, loving, okay. So he said, let love be your highest goal, but you should also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives, especially the, especially the ability to prophesy. I'll talk about that more next week. But here's the thing. He says, you should desire. In other words, the Holy Spirit's wanting to use us. Why are some people used and some people not? Us, desire. Lord, use me. Help me step out there. And here's what I have found over the years. We have just two or three people in our church that, that do, does these kind of things regularly. Tongues, uh, interpretation, I know uh, Linda Eldridge has, Jan has. Jan's kind of our go-to here on some, most of this stuff. Um, here's, how I, here's, here's what I've understood over the years. What happens is, is people start to say, well, Jan's the interpretation lady. 
So I don't need to. Guys, you're putting too much in Jan's plate, and you're not putting enough in your own plate. It's... <laughs> you know that's going to be on our heart. Here's one of the things that I have found over the years. The reason that some people are used regularly in the same gift is they become very comfortable with that gift. It, they're comfortable with it. It doesn't mean they're the only ones God's trying to use. In fact, I'll prove it to you. Have you ever been sitting in a service and you sense that God is about to speak to us? And you're saying, God, I can tell that you're wanting to talk to us. Jan? You know, right? Don't we do? Okay, but here's the thing. The reason that you can sense that God is wanting to speak to us right then is probably because he's trying to use you. Step out there, guys. Try it. Try it. Step out there. And, and you're saying, well, I'm, I'm, I always operate in this gift. Okay, but you're supposed to earnestly seek all the gifts. It's not your gift. That's not your category. It's just the category you're most comfortable with. Step out there. Pray for somebody. Give a word of knowledge. Do something. And you say, well, I don't want to be wrong. Well, we don't want you to be wrong either, but don't worry about that. I'll help you with that. If you're just totally off base, I'll come talk to you. But most of the time, guys, if your heart is right, you're sincere, you're not going to be off base. Okay, don't let Satan mess with you with that stuff. Now, if you stand up and say, Satan wants you to worship him, okay, you might be off base. But let's not worry about that. Let's just try to step out there. Guys, just try to step out there and say, you know, God's just putting this on my heart, but I'm scared to death. So is everybody else in the room. But somebody's got to do it. Because God's trying to speak to us. He wants to. And he wants to use you. And this goes for teenagers too. First time I recognized the Holy Spirit was trying to do this with me, I was 18. Probably was trying to do it earlier. But, and if you get off base, we'll tell your parents. But guys, step out there. Step out there. Step out there. Okay, I've gone too long. So here's the deal. Stand with me. The goal. The goal of the Holy Spirit and all of this and all the gifts, the goal of the Holy Spirit is to, to equip us to pursue God. The purpose is so that we can then reach people. The goal is so that we can pursue God and the purpose is then so that we can reach people. Guys, we've got to do this. We, I need more of the Lord and I need you to speak out sometimes so that I can hear it. I need this. You need more of what the Lord is wanting to do in your life. So you need to speak out so that He's doing that in your life. All right, let's pray. God, we, we, we come to you knowing that you've given us these tools, these gifts. You, you're trying to help us in so many different ways. And God, I believe right now that the church in America has trained itself to not notice, not hear, not understand, not recognize what you're trying to do. God, I pray against that right here at Church at Briargate. I pray against fear. I pray against insecurities. I pray against, if people have been taught against this, I pray against it, Lord God, in the name of Jesus. Let us do the things you've created us to do, you've called us to do, right here at Church at Briargate, in the name of Jesus. Lord, help us to see your word telling us this stuff. Jesus' name. God, any, any, I pray the same thing he started off with, that he wants to tell us this so we don't misunderstand it. He wants us, Paul is wanting us to see this stuff. God, I pray the same thing. I want us to see this stuff. Help us to operate in the gifts that you've given us to operate in. In healing, Lord, as people are praying across the front, it's not about me praying, it's about all of us praying. It's about our prayer partners praying with people and miracles happening. God, you've chosen us all in the name of Jesus. You've chosen us and equipped us, so help us to do this.
Lord, give us moments this week where you show us the things that you're trying to show us. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Lord, we all want to be used earnestly. We want to seek these gifts so that we can be used by you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Let, let me leave this with you. Um, this may be new to you. You may have never heard any of this. And you're like, wow, that's kind of cool. Some of you may be like, I don't think so. I was raised the other way or whatever. Okay, go to 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Include 13 in because it shows you the purpose. And 14, read 12, 13, and 14. And just read it and say, God, what are you saying? And remember, it's about getting together corporately. God, what are you saying to us as a body? How does this work? How does it operate? And then here's my suggestion. I like to just throw this out here. When you're in a service, first be praying in the Spirit. All through worship, pray in the Spirit. Out loud, quiet, it doesn't matter. Pray in the Spirit. And then if you sense that the Holy Spirit is saying something, step out there. It'll be horribly scary, but you can do it. But you can do it, I promise. The Lord wants to do this with us. He wants to, okay? All right, before noon tomorrow, he's going to give you the opportunity to let somebody know Jesus loves them. He wants you to know wants you to tell somebody that Jesus loves them and wants to save them. Do that. Do that. And God will honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. Shake somebody's hand. Hug their neck. Tell them how glad you are that they're here. And we will see you Wednesday night. Have a great rest of your day.